This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Want to know another Snapple fact? The first hot air balloon passengers were a sheep, a duck, and a rooster. Ridiculous. Check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavored Snapple near you. Welcome to Dunzo. This is a podcast that explores hookups and breakups of famous lovers and friends, both real and fake, and all the discarded pop culture of yesteryear. I'm your host, Troy McKeady. You guys, welcome back to whatever episode this is of Dunzo. Hi. It's me, Regis Feldman. Um, I already know what you're going to say. First of all, listen. I don't remember the last time I recorded by myself either. I don't remember how to even do this. I'm going to be honest. Actually, I think it's been seven months. I think it's been seven months since I recorded alone. And we'll talk about it. We'll get into it. That very reason is exactly why it's important to me that we check in. That I ask you how you're doing. That I tell you how great you look. That I let you know that you look just as skinny. Oh my God, skinny. Skinny as a needle. Honey, are you eating? At that point, you would, of course, tell me how gorgeous I look. (laughs) I'll give you a moment. Oh, thanks, girl. (laughs) First and foremost, let me just start by telling you how much I genuinely miss you, how much I miss our talks, our, our kitchen table conversations. I really do. And, you know, like I said, it's been seven months since I recorded by myself, which I cannot believe. I know that some of you who listen to the podcast prefer episodes where I record by myself because you tell me. And I appreciate that. I don't know why. <laughs> I can't fathom it, but I do appreciate it. And, you know, I am I want to apologize to you directly because it's been, like, it's just been so long. What's even more insane is that since the last time you and I spoke, since we had a one-on-one conversation, I mean, I started a second podcast called Beyond the Blinds with my friend Kelly from Laguna Biatch. And I'm sure you all know that by now, but, you know, we've been touring the country together, we've been doing these shows together, and, you know, it's crazy because when we started Beyond the Blinds, like, it it was something that we both just kind of wanted to do as, like, a side gig. I don't think either of us thought many people would listen to it. I think we both thought it would be this fun little, like, you know, one-off, like, let's do this for, like, a year and see what happens, if anybody even cares, Like, truly, we thought it would be, like, a tiny little thing. And it quickly blew up and became the biggest thing in both of our lives. Uh, The thing that requires the most attention. Um, But it's just been so fun. It's been so incredibly rewarding and fun. I've been lucky enough to be able to meet a lot of you, which has been really cool, for the first time in five years. And, you know, I've had a lot of people come up to me and be like, hi, I've been subscribed since the Smush Room. And that truly makes my heart flutter. Like, that fucking throws me back. Because I'm like, oh my god. Like, this person that I'm meeting has known me for five years and knows everything about my life and my family and my grandmother dying and me moving and leaving jobs and my depression and, (laughs) like, all the times I've almost cried on this podcast, but not actually cried, almost cried every time. Um, it's really special and it means a lot to me and it's just, it's really cool. Now I did want to address why I haven't recorded any solo episodes in a long time because I think you deserve to know. And to be completely honest with you, no bullshit, like just straight up, no chaser or whatever. I was just burnt out. I honestly was just burnt the fuck out. And I would honestly say, I'm using the word honestly a lot. I would honestly say that even before I started Beyond the Blinds, I was already, which is great because then I just piled on another podcast, but I was already feeling a bit burnt out with the format of this podcast and the way that I had sort of painted myself into a corner. And I've told you guys for years that at the beginning of starting this, I really had no idea (laughs) that my bread and butter would be these like 30 page long essays that I would basically turn in every week. I had reached a point where I was like, I want to keep doing this and I want to keep releasing episodes, but at the moment, I can't do it in the way that I've always done it because it's just too fucking hard. 
but I also still want to do it. Um, so for the sake of like continuing to put out content that I, I'm still passionate about, I decided to just continue my revolving door of guests and people that I love and people that have been on this podcast a bunch of times or just once or whatever. So my compromise with myself was to just continue releasing more like conversation based content rather than me, you know, rambling into a microphone alone for two hours. I'm not going to say that I won't ever do that content again. I'm sure that I will. And I'm not, like I said, I don't even blame Beyond the Blinds for me not doing it. I was feeling this way way before. Whitney was fucking intense. Christina was intense. And then I did 3LW, the Pussycat Dolls. I was honestly just like, I was just burnt out. I was like, I just can't. Like, I just can't do it. I was honestly really starting to struggle. And I would definitely say that I was not in the best mental space either. And that didn't help, you know, I've told you guys that I suffer from depression and, you know, feeling super depressed, but then being like, oh, and by the way, you have an episode that you have to release tomorrow and you haven't started it. And you have 29 pages of research to do to fill the hour and you're going to do nine parts of it. Good luck. It was just like debilitating at a certain point. I also know that I'm not the only person that feels this way, but I feel like post-COVID, I never really got back on track. Not that I was on the tracks, you know what I mean? Not that I was like on the rails at all, but after COVID, I really, it was like, I just never really found my footing again. I always felt a little bit thrown off in my life or a little bit off balance, if you will. And when I say post-COVID, you know that I obviously mean post, like, the first official American lockdown. Because, let's be honest, Miss Covidina is here to stay. I will say that touring has definitely helped with that, like, beyond what I could ever have done on my own. Just, like, being out in the world and, like, putting myself in uncomfortable situations. And I've never been on a fucking stage. I've never been on a stage and now Kelly and I are fucking selling out shows and, you know, just making myself uncomfortable in that, that way that, like, is good and helps you grow and, like, meeting all these people and, you know, it's really, really helped me a lot as far as my mental health goes. One thing that I know for sure I have not talked to you guys about is that I am planning a move. So, um, when Kelly and I were in New York, we sat down to get lunch and we both at the same time were like, we both want to live here, correct? Yeah, you do. I do. Yes, that's happening. Um, Kelly found an apartment that literally the next day, like literally the following day, she had found an apartment in New York, which is fucking insane. And I'm very jealous. Um, so yeah, I'm planning on moving to New York. I'm looking for places right now. I'm ready to go as soon as I'm ready to get the fuck out of here. Like I'm ready. So if you or somebody that you know is moving or knows of a place or whatever, if you know a good landlord or anything, please, please reach out to me. I'm not kidding. DM me. I'm not, I'm not joking. We are now eight minutes in and all that to say that I hear you, I get these DMs every single day, where are the solo episodes, I miss the old Dunzo, please go back to the old format, I get it, trust me, I hear you, I see you, you was kind, you was smart, you was important, girl, and I get it, uh, I, I, I get it, I understand. In this moment, I don't know what the future holds for myself, I don't even know what the future holds for Dunzo, to be honest with you, but just know that you will never be able to get rid of me. Just know that. Like, no matter what happens, no matter how I change the format of this show or however long it even continues, to be honest with you, I adore you and you'll never... I'm a mold, okay? This voice is never going anywhere and you cannot remove me from your life at this point. Okay, now, as you guys know, I asked you to submit questions on Instagram. Um, just random, whatever you felt like asking me about pop culture or my life or the podcast... So I'm just going to go down the list. Um, I can guarantee we will not be able to get to all of these questions, but I'm just going to go down the list until we get to like an hour and some change. Okay, so the first question is from What's Privacy? It says, what if Nicole Schwarzenberger, Schwarzenberger was in Black Eyed Peas instead of Fergie? Now, if you guys have not listened to my Black Eyed Peas, I did not do Black Eyed Peas, I just lied to you. 
<laughs> if you haven't read my Black Eyed Peas book that I just released, um, if you have not listened to my Pussycat Dolls episode, first of all, I highly suggest it. I worked very hard and it was pretty good, if I don't say so myself. Um, but one of the big discoveries was that Nicole was actually supposed to be in the Black Eyed Peas and it's why she and Will I Am is, have always had such an intensely close relationship and why he basically produced her her solo album um, because he wanted her in his band. And the thing about that that really blew me away was how perfectly she would fit into the Black Eyed Peas. And if anything, <laughs> the Black Eyed Peas probably, I mean, listen, who knows what, because Nicole, who knows what would have happened, right? But, like, she would have perfectly fit in the Black Eyed Peas. Like, perfectly. It's almost, it's almost like <laughs> she should have been in the Black Eyed Peas. And I bet you there are moments where she thinks, God, that was my sliding doors moment. Because I would have killed it as the, the main girl in that band. She would have gotten everything she's always ever wanted, which is to be the, the true lead. And not the lead by default, but the lead because you're the girl in this group full of guys. Everybody's staring at you. And, you know, that's Nicole's, like, low-key dream. This next question is from Dinner Rolls 33 obsessed. Do you know anything about Kim K stealing over $100,000 from Brandy's credit card? It's shocking, I know, but I actually do know a little bit about this. So, around the time of Kim Kardashian's sex tape release... She was very famously working for Brandy as her assistant slash uh, closet organizer. And Brandy had given Kim access to her credit cards because she was designing her closet. So if she needed to go out and like buy, you know, items to decorate the room or whatever, she had access to Brandy's money. So Brandy's mom checked Kim's purchases and it turns out that Kim had gone to Dash and Poosh, <laughs> of course, because even when the Kardashians steal, it's branded. So they had gone to, she had gone to her stores and bought a bunch of shit. <laughs> I don't even know why. And then she gave the credit card to her sisters and she allowed uh, Chloe and Courtney to also shop with Brandy's credit card. I actually looked up Brandy's official statement because she did like sue them and take them to court. So she said publicly, um, investigation has revealed that the Kardashians used their two stores and other stores that I have never visited to take advantage of me. I very much look forward to having the Kardashians account for their misconduct in a court of law. Um, Kim spent $120,000 on Brandy's credit card. It was actually Brandy's mom who sued the Kardashians and she said, I do not want to commence litigation against the Kardashian family without conducting an, ex an extensive investigation into the charges and discussing all options, including criminal prosecution with the family. Um, it also says, after Ray J and Brandy urged me not to file criminal, criminal charges because of their prior friendships, I decided to afford the Kardashians an opportunity to resolve this matter without lawsuit. Now, of course, a lot of people find the timing of the release of the tape to be sus in comparison to when this lawsuit took place, it was basically the exact same time. Um, and, a, you know, a lot of people believe that the tape may have been some sort of result of the bad blood between these two families. But, darlings, it's written in the Hollywood stars, and I guess we'll never know. This next question is from Positively Pink Pujari. Um, it says, has the, Illumina the Illuminati asked you to stop yet? They have not asked me to stop. I have not been invited under New York City for any meetings. Um, Beyonce has not reached out. Jay-Z has said nothing. I'm sitting here staring at my phone morning, noon, and night. Where is my call? I don't think that I'll be asked to stop. I think I'll be asked to join. Hello? Hi? Right? I think I'll be blackmailed and then asked to join, like all the rest of the fellas. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, I'll be a straight r&b star who never claimed to be gay and yeah i'll be photographed with will smith and balconies and things and you'll be none the wiser this question is from who the fuck knows emily rose it says do you think Lindsay will be able to maintain the comeback or will she fumble the bag maintain the comeback i mean listen i think Lindsay. i've said this a million times i think i said this at every one of our live shows and i've said it here 
Lindsay has lived in a comeback for the better part of a decade. She's been living in a comeback since I was like 21 years old and I'm going to be 34 next month. So I don't really even know how to answer that, to be honest with you. I don't know what it looks like for Lindsay to sustain her career anymore. I don't know. I'm hoping she does. I do hate that Lindsay is in a place of just simply getting a job is her comeback. Like, that's dark. But I hope that she, you know, I hope she does. I'm always rooting for Lindsay. I will continue to root for Lindsay. Um, I don't know. I don't know what else to even say about it. But I, I, I have high hopes. <laughs> this next question is from Kitties in Bullshit. It says, Kim and Pete, PR turned real. Pete and Kanye, elaborate PR stunt. Um, you guys have probably noticed that I sort of avoid posting about this. And I used to really hate these people. And I'm pretty sure I've said on this very podcast that these people used to annoy the fuck out of me. But I was always so annoyed with like anti-Kardashian people. Because I would just be like, get over it. They're a part of our news. They're a part of our world. Trying to pretend that they're not, you know, a force is like so annoying and reductive. And I still agree with that. But I'm also at a place of understanding wanting to rid them of your timeline. It's like, I feel like I should be allowed to live a day where I'm not bombarded for 24 hours straight with Kardashian news. I am literally at my wits end. I just don't fucking care anymore. I don't care if it's a PR stunt. I don't care if it's real. I don't, I don't care. Like, I'm just done. I'm sick of talking about the Kardashians. I am so sick of everybody's lives revolving around the Kardashians. To be completely honest, I think that it, it's that I'm, I'm sick of us being stuck in the loop. And I hate that we're like in the Kardashian matrix all the time and we don't realize that we're in it until another news story comes and then we're like, oh fuck, they got us. But like, this is really interesting. I hate that. Um, I just want out. I want out of the matrix. I want the blue pill. I want my, I want my life back. You know what I mean? I'm done. But to answer your question, Kim and Pete PR. Yeah, duh. Of course. Kim and Peter PR. Yes. I can't say it enough. It's not real. I mean, who, come on, you guys, come on. Of course it's PR like enough, enough. And now Kim is like, fucking flaunting this relationship on Ellen and shit because she just said something offensive and she's trying to cover it up. And of course it's working because it always works. It always works. It doesn't matter what we think or how we feel. We're always in the Kardashian loop and it just works every time. So now it's like, you know, everybody's like shipping this relationship and it's such a big deal. Oh my God, Kim went on Ellen. She talked about Pete. She posted a picture we're all idiots. Uh, Pete and Kanye, elaborate PR stunt. If it is, I mean, it's not doing a lot for his career. If this is all PR for Kanye, um, it's not doing anything to benefit him or his music or his legacy. So I can't fathom that this is PR. Uh, yeah, <laughs> that's all I have to say about it. This question is from Dre underscore Oz. It says, can you tell us about your favorite Bobby, Bl Bobby Flay blind item? Um, I don't have a specific Bobby Flay blind item that I like love, but I, I guess just generally Bobby Flay's blind item life is that he fucks like Bobby fucks a lot. And a lot of women want to have sex with Bobby Flay. He has sex with a lot of women. Um, he seems to be a little bit of a womanizer. And I guess I just love the fact that Giada, who also fucks, um, that she and Bobby work together a lot because they love to be able to travel and have sex. And, you know, even if they're married, <laughs> they love to be able to host shows together and do projects together and fundraisers and events. And if you notice, like, of all the people on the Food Network, Bobby and Giada work together probably the most. And it's because they both like to fuck. And I love that for both of them. Uh, why to Kristen asked Brit in full control of her Insta right now, yes or no. Um, yeah, I, I, I can't fathom who at this point would be in control of it. There's no conservatorship anymore. Um, if Sam was like running it, I think that we would know. 
Uh, yeah, Britney, I, I think that Britney's in control of her Instagram, and I think that we can tell that by, um, just how free the posts have been, and, you know, she's been much more vocal and outspoken recently than she's been ever, so, yes, I believe that Britney is definitely in control of her, I think that those days are gone, like, and the, the company that was hired to do her posting, like, the, the woman who was doing it came forward and said, like, we didn't want to be doing this and it was heartbreaking and it was really horrible and we were just doing our job and she like showed herself basically. So yeah, I, I, I'm, it's, I think it's Brittany. Anna Zek asked, why do you think some people criticize beyond the blinds so heavily? <laughs> Is that like a backhanded question? <laughs> oh, that's funny. No, I get what you mean. Uh, it's a very polarizing podcast. It's a polarizing podcast. I think that that's why. Um, for one thing, I think that Kelly and I both came into it knowing that it would it would be very polarizing because for people who don't know what blind items are, it's like opening up Pandora's box to somebody and telling them to just understand what's inside it. You know, it's it's really asking a lot. Um, so that's one reason. The second reason is I think that people who are misinformed think that we're like a QAnon podcast, which is my favorite. <laughs> which is my favorite. Because now, like, any sort of abuse in Hollywood that has to do with, like, younger people, which is something that we talk about a lot, is associated with QAnon. So people think that we are a QAnon podcast, which I think is fucking hysterical. We're not. Um, and those people are obviously just, it's like I pray for them, because it's like they're obviously just idiots. These are also people who believe, like, all child abuse in Hollywood is made up, and, like, it's, they're crazy. Um... So, you know, I, I, that I don't even, like, really get into because I'm like, these people are just never going, they'll never get it, and they're not my audience anyway, so thank God. And I also think that any sort of, listen, I have always said that I believe that Hollywood is our real government. I think that the government is, like, the government in quotes, but our real government, the people who make our decisions and who really determine what our society looks like is Hollywood. And I think for the most part, people really enjoy sort of living in like a bubble RuPaul says this a lot like people people like being in the matrix because it's safe and it, it's what we've always known and it's just comforting to know that the way things are presented to you is exactly as they are and I think that what we do is very disruptive for a lot of people which I understand and um I get that I used to be that person too I didn't want I, I wanted Hollywood to be exactly as I had always known it Izzy Ellery asked, how do you relax in between traveling and recording episodes? Um, I don't. <laughs> I'm the kind of person that, like, if, my, if I'm not stimulated, if I'm not doing something or going somewhere or talking to someone or doing something, my brain just, I need to be busy. So doing all of this stuff has actually been really great for me because I'm much better when I'm busy. I'm much better when I have like a full schedule and I'm not really thinking about anything outside of like what I'm planning on doing. So it's actually been really nice to be honest, having such a booked schedule and just like doing the things that I'm supposed to do and checking them off. I really love doing that. So for me, it's like the in-between time that's tough. Like right now, we've done the four shows and we're adding more dates, but like not for a little while. And I have downtime and I don't want downtime. Like I want to be going out and like doing something. So for me, it's kind of the opposite. I don't like like sitting around. I'm like, I get stir crazy and, and insane and my depression picks up and it's just like not good for me. Josie Goo asked, why I... Why do you enter yourself? Why do you enter yourself as Troy McKeehu in some older episodes? I am so confused about it. Well, Josie Goo, I was about to ask you about your name too, sis. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> no, I I don't know why I do that. I'm just it's just me being silly, Josie. May I? May I be sarcastic with my audience, Josie Goo? TM Care asks, how is your non-podcast life going? You know, my non-podcast life right now feels kind of non-existent, to be honest with you. I think maybe because, like I said earlier, I, I'm very ready to, like, move. I'm, I'm really ready to get the fuck out of here, and I'm, I'm, like, violently looking for a new apartment. I just feel really, like, done with where I am right now, and I feel like I'm in this really intense, like, transitional phase in life. 
and I'm ready to like embrace it and lean into it and like move. I was definitely not happy to come home. And you know, I'm just I just feel really over it. Like the people, it's so funny cuz I just like went on this like whirlwind tour, you know, met all these people, was in four cities in a month or four states in a month. And it's like I come home and like nobody in my life really cares about what I do. So it's like it was such a high high and then coming home it was such a low low because to be honest with you I'm not really surrounded by people who are like super supportive and I feel like I can be very vulnerable with you and share that. <laughs> I'm kind of at a point where I'm like fuck everybody that I know here I just don't care. You know what I mean? Half of them don't know what I do. Half of them don't care. They sort of care. Maybe listen every once in a while. Maybe not. Like I just don't have like a real support system around me anymore in where I am in life at this point and I feel like it's because I've exhausted my relationships here and I'm just ready to move on from them if that makes sense that being said I cannot reiterate enough that if you or somebody you know is moving or <laughs> whatever please reach out to me <laughs> Vicky Vinegar asked me is there any relationship or person you just won't talk about on the pod I can't think of anybody that I refuse to talk about on Dunzo. I will say on Beyond the Blinds, Kelly and I both have boundaries that we won't cross. Um, I am never doing a Britney episode of Beyond the Blinds. Like, that's just not going to happen. I just don't think it's like, I just don't see how it would be. It ain't happening. I'm not doing it. I'm not going to read through all of Britney's like horrific blind items from 2007 and like, you know, bring them to the light again i just no nope but on dunzo i'll talk about whoever nobody's business 2019 asked why are you so cynical towards celebrities now you know i don't know if i've ever not been cynical i'm naturally a cynical person uh i know that about myself and i will say the format in which i talk about celebrities has changed with dunzo versus beyond the blinds like the way that I cover celebrity and gossip and all that stuff here versus there is just like two completely different worlds because naturally blind items are just darker content. Plus you guys know that I'm a very, I sort of exist in the middle always. I'm never like black or white about anything. I never just like somebody or just don't like them. It's always complicated. So I'm the kind of person that can do an episode of Beyond the Blinds about somebody and find out that maybe they're not, like, the greatest person, um, like an Emma Roberts, for example, and still enjoy their work while also knowing that they're, like, human and flawed. And for me, like, Beyond the Blinds for me is just a reminder that these people are human beings. And I think we've gotten to a place with celebrity now, especially where it's, like, you either ride really hard for somebody or you don't ride for them at all or you hate this person. It's almost like we've looped back to some version of the early 2000s where it was like pop star wars. But now it's like every celebrity. Like without realizing it, everybody's just like a part of Stan Twitter now. Like we're all Stan Twitter. There's no longer a divide. And you have to publicly declare your love or disdain for someone. You know what I mean? It's like, who gives a fuck? Like, if you decide that you no longer like a celebrity, then you need to publicly make sure everybody knows that you don't like them for all the noble reasons that you're standing up. And it's like, or you could just shut the fuck up and not listen to the music. You know what I mean? Which also, by the way, just further proves my point that our real government is Hollywood. Because the way that people, the passion that people have for celebrity and the way that somebody will end their friendship with you in 2022 because of a difference over a celebrity is giving me middle school PTSD. Salvador22DA asked, what do you hope will come from Lindsay's Netflix deal? Um, I hope that the thing that comes from Lindsay's Netflix deal is a turn in the way that we talk about Lindsay Lohan's career. I can't fathom that any big, huge, major, crazy event is going to come post Lindsay starring in a Netflix movie. But like, I, again, I'm always rooting for Lindsay. I will continue to root for her until I'm dead unapologetically. I guess all we can hope is that directors are more willing to take chances on Lindsay, right? Like that would be the ultimate goal, you know, that after this does well, hopefully, that she proves herself to be a celebrity who can like 
star in a movie, show up on time, not only show up on time, but be un- unproblematic the whole time, and also promote the movie in the traditional way that a celebrity promotes a movie. I mean, it's literally been, like I said earlier, like 15 years since Lindsay was really seen as like a bankable, you know, insurable star. So we're always rooting for you, Lindsay, here at Dunzo and Core, at House of Dunzo. <laughs> Edgar F. Sanchez 10 just said, quote, Lindsay Lohan's fuck list. And the reason that I love that is because every time I've ever done any sort of like ask me anything, Q&A, anything, like mailbag, there is always at least one person who will comment, write in, respond, whatever, quote, Lindsay Lohan's fuck list. No context, no explanation, no question mark even, just quote, Lindsay Lohan's fuck list. So Edgar, I'd like to thank you personally for keeping the tradition going. Um, It means a lot to me. And yeah, I don't know what to say about Lindsay's fuck list. We've all read it. We've all seen it. It's iconic. Um, Some of the names I think are, first of all, it's nowhere near the full list. I mean, let's be honest. Like the actual list is much more iconic. If you want a good Lindsay Lohan fuck list, I suggest going to whodatedwho.com which, as some of you may or may not know, was the inspiration for this podcast at the very beginning. I don't know if you guys know that or not, but when we were coming up with the idea for this show, um, who's who dated who was the inspo, because I would just get so fucking sucked into that website. My God. Like, it was constant where I was like, I just want to sit in bed, type in a random person's name, and see where it takes me. And I was like, wow, all these people are so connected and everybody has fucked everybody. So that was the original concept for the Smush Room. But uh, yeah, check out Lindsay Lohan's list. It's iconic. Anna Zek also asked, what do you think is going on with Wendy Williams? We've talked a little about Wendy on this podcast. I know that I've never done a Wendy episode and I've always said that I wanted to, but I was a little put off by how overwhelming that would be. Um, And, you know, the thing about Wendy is like, She's an institution for me. I grew up watching Wendy Williams. Wendy Williams was my Howard Stern. She still is. And in my opinion, Wendy Williams is the black Howard Stern. She is the black female Howard. To me, they are on the same level. The only difference between Wendy Williams and Howard Stern is that Wendy pivoted at a certain point in her life and in her career, and she became a television star. And I remember when Wendy signed up to do her television show I was so nervous about it and if I'm being honest with you the thing that made me really nervous was like white people finding out about Wendy Williams (laughs) I was like because I was like there's no way that anybody is going to interpret Wendy Williams in the correct way Wendy is obviously a massive personality and she's a lot you know what I mean and I was like and, and that's not to say that like white people weren't fans of Wendy but Wendy reported on black celebrities she reported on black Hollywood Um, you know, Wendy was very much known in the hip hop community. Like Wendy had a market and it was not middle American white people who watch television at 10 AM every single day at the same time on the same network. Like that was not Wendy's demo. So it scared me the idea that Wendy would be on like daytime television next to Regis and Kelly and you know, whoever, like I just, that was insane to me. Who would have ever predicted, you know, cut to 10 years later, that the Wendy Williams show has left this insane mark on pop culture and on daytime TV? I don't know if Wendy will ever get the respect that she deserves as a public figure because of her image and the way she comes off and whatever. Um, And the fact that she's a black woman. I mean, let's just call a spade a spade. Howard Stern has never been held accountable for anything that he's said or done. The thing about Howard Stern is that his controversies only ever made him more famous and more desirable to his fan base and to the women that, for whatever reason, wanted to fuck Howard Stern. But with Wendy, on the other hand, and I'm not excusing the things that Wendy has said and done because she's done and said some pretty horrific things. Uh, I mean, my God. But at the same time, I definitely think that Wendy has been held to a different standard as far as 
you know, being held to the fire for things that she's done. When you look back at Howard Stern's career and he, I mean, literally was known for like 30 years for having women on his show talking about their weight and their bodies and how many people they slept with and their vaginas and, you know, peel your vagina open or you were molested. Is that why you're a slut? Blah, blah, blah. Like horrific shit. Really, really horrific, horrific shit. And Howard continues to be known as a shock jock. Howard is a shock jock. And that's why he says those things. And that's why it's okay. And, you know, I don't know why I'm so intensely comparing, but at the moment, it's just like, I just, I love Wendy. And I'm always like pleading Wendy's case for her, right? So I'm really devastated about what's going on with Wendy right now. And I can't believe after all of these years, after having this monumental show, opening up her world, her life to the world in such a profound way. I would say we've never seen anything like this on daytime television, even in comparison to Oprah. It's not the same, right? With how much she is, the blood, sweat, and tears that this woman has given to that show to be replaced without a sin a proper send-off a proper goodbye to think that wendy williams isn't going to peg bundy walk from that fucking stage over to her chair ever again honestly makes me want to cry like i can't even think about it so i'm devastated about it i i mean i continue to fucking root for wendy i don't know what is true and what's not true when it comes to her mental health or her physical health or what's going on with her, if she can walk, if she can't, you know, if she's dementia. I know that there was a video that came out not that long ago of her talking to a paparazzi and she seemed very much there. But I also think that that marriage, you know, like it, it has to be stated, like her relationship with Kevin was such a, a huge part of why Wendy was able to hold it together for so many years, even though it was abusive and he was psychotic, Kevin also like kept Wendy sober and kept her sort of in line, if you will, when it comes to that stuff. So for Wendy to then out of nowhere have complete control over her life, like we saw how that, what happened with that. At the same time, I think that Kevin killed her spirit. I really do. I think that that relationship killed Wendy's spirit I think that it shattered her in a way that feels like it can't be repaired like I don't know I don't think we'll ever get Wendy back um and at the same time it's like as much as Kevin kept her in line and like kept her sober and like had this sort of iron fist over her life he was also an abusive psychopath and there are so many stories of people at the Wendy Williams show people who work in production her hair and makeup people Every, you know, people behind the scenes who were afraid of Kevin and have had physical altercations with Kevin. Women. There are people who work at the Wendy Williams show that have said that they saw Kevin, like, come in and choke Wendy. Literally choke her in front of her staff. So, I don't know. I just think that he really fucked her up. Obviously, he was her K-Fed. I mean, come on. And I just, I love Wendy. I'll always love her. Um, yeah, I don't know what else to say about it. I don't know what's going on with her, but I'm rooting for her. The Bucks said, what do you think of Xtina's Latin era and what is next? Um, you know, Christina's always released music, like Spanish speaking music. And that was a huge deal for her, uh, as a teenager when she released the Spanish version of her debut album. Like that was huge. Um, so I I'm not surprised by it. I know that this has always been a passion of Christina's and I found out when I did the Christina episode that she's pretty much always listened to Spanish speaking music like that's what she grew up listening to and she always had like the desire to release an album so the fact that she's leaning in at this point does not surprise me at all I think it's incredible that she set herself up you know however many years ago to be able to dip in and out and you know, she had great successes with her Spanish-speaking album. She won a Grammy. So, you know, it's... I, I say good for her. And also, it doesn't seem like people are interested in her music, her, like, pop music at the moment. They're just not. Like, I'll never forget realizing that Christina Aguilera just stopped promoting that album that she had released. 
Like, she had released it and done, like, all this press. It was, like, on BuzzFeed and Vanity Fair YouTube channel and talking about all of this shit. And then she just disappeared again. So, I think it's a great pivot. I'm, you know, good for Christina. Uh, Katie Metzel, sorry if I fucked up your last name, said, I want your predictions about Britney. Will her sweet southern girl persona come back, etc.? Well, uh, I think the sweet southern girl we knew in 2002 is gone, unfortunately. Um, we killed her. And, you know, I think that Britney is in a completely different headspace than she was when she was a controlled Baptist. You know what I mean? Now she's a fucking renegade woman and you know, Instagram is like her, it's like Annie got her gun and it's the post button. Um, so I don't think that we're ever going to get that version of Britney Spears back for sure. That's not happening. And you know what? Good for her. I don't think we deserve it. We mismanaged it. We misused it. You know, when you, when you shatter something, you can't put it back together and we shattered her and we don't deserve to then just be like, well, we want you back now because after 10 years of playing with our little voodoo doll, we want it to be in pristine condition again. It just doesn't work that way. Um, so I don't think so. But what I will tell you is that I definitely feel like Britney is obviously in like a transitional phase. I think, you know, I hate that we are in a space of being able to watch her acclimate to the world and I've said this about Britney a thousand times and I'll say it until I'm dead. You know, Britney is a child star. She's a former child star. And at the end of the day, she's programmed because it's all she's ever known her entire life that even if she's in like maybe not the best place or if the public isn't being very nice to her or whatever, whatever the circumstance may be, Britney Spears doesn't know how to not desire the attention of the public. It's literally all she's ever known. And look no further than, you know, in 2007 when she's in the worst place of her life and she is being hounded and whatever, she never left LA and she never lost the desire to be sought after, which is crazy. You know what I mean? And we see that from all child stars. We see it from Aaron Carter. We saw it from Lindsay. You basically see it from any child star who lives their life publicly and has had some sort of like tumultuous relationship with the press that they just can't get out of their own way. And, you know, even as an adult, like, I don't think, you know, Britney's Instagram is deactivated right now. And I know she's like taking a break. Thank God. I wish that she would just say fuck everybody and stay off Instagram, to be honest. Like, I wish that she would just take pictures for herself and maybe make like a private Instagram for like people she knows and just say, fuck the rest of the world, because these people don't deserve her. I will also say that because Britney has only ever known, like, a public life, she's only ever worked since she was a kid, I do think that, in my opinion, I know I've, not everybody agrees with this, I think it would be damn near impossible that Britney Spears never pursues some sort of entertainment industry something again. I just don't, it's all she's ever known. And I don't think, the thing is, I think the misinterpretation about Britney Spears that a lot of people have is that they think that her entire career has just been this, like, depressing, sad, you know, sort of, like, slave contract or whatever, and she's never been allowed to do anything she wants to do and blah, blah, blah. Up to, like, 2008, Britney Spears was consecutively every year gaining tons of control in her career and when you look at the 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 peak of her career that 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 like 2001 with a stutter just now hello speech impediment uh the like 2001 2002 era where like the britney machine was very much intact britney was like very much in control of a lot of what she was doing of course not all of it but like i think that britney really enjoyed her career and I've always said that Britney Spears enjoyed the fact that she was so good at being famous. I think, you know, around, like, the time that Britney kissed Madonna and stuff, you know, even though, like, the pressure cooker was getting to be a bit much and she was overworked, I think that Britney was, like, very much 
empowered by the fact that she was so good at playing the media and that she was so good at the cat and mouse game. And she had a real understanding of how celebrity works and all of that stuff until it got out of control and she got, you know, she lost control of the narrative. She lost control of her life. So all that to say, I think that Britney Spears would absolutely love, and again, that this is not everybody's opinion, but to me, I think that Britney would love to release more music. I really do think that. I think it would be unlike anything we had ever seen from her. She's an extremely artistic person. She's very creative. I just can't fathom that over this last 13 years, she hasn't written a single poem, a single song. You know what I mean? She has more to say now than she ever has. And that's apparent by her fucking Instagram captions. She's, to me, Britney at this moment is pent up. She looks pent up. She feels pent up. The dancing even just feels like an, ex an, an extension of a lot of like internalized rage and anger and sadness and frustration. I could be wrong, but you know, I just, I just don't see a world where like, and I, and I don't know what it will look like, but I just don't see a world in which Britney Spears will never express herself creatively again, especially through music. I just can't see it. Vanessa Graham asked, are you doing the podcast full time and how do you manage time in between them? Love you. Love you too, girl. Um, yes, I am doing the podcast full time now. So it's my full time gig. Um, I tried to manage having my job, which I hated, by the way. I tried to manage having a job and doing all of this podcast shit because I just wanted the security of having like a nine to five. And then at a certain point, I was like, I fucking hate my job. Like, what security does it offer me besides the security of making me feel pigeon-held and tied down and giving me anxiety? So, I left my job, and, um, yeah, so now I'm a full-time podcaster. Also, I just want to say, I don't know if you guys have heard it at all, but it's St. Patty's Day today, where I am, and I live in a very, like, drinky, bar-hoppy, like, my entire street is just bars, so... There are people, like, I'm listening to girls being dragged through, like, yards. I'm hearing, Brittany, that's our Uber! That's our fucking Uber! It's leaving! Brittany, it's leaving! I'm hearing a lot of that. I'm hearing just all kinds of fucking things going on right now. So if you hear it, I just, I'm sorry. I, I don't know what to tell you. LD Woodrick asked, what is your favorite celebrity conspiracy theory? My favorite celebrity conspiracy theory is that Britney, Lindsay, and Paris were involved in a entanglement. And I don't know if that's the correct use of entanglement. <laughs> I think it's not. Whatever. Um, <laughs> Britney was in between Paris and Lindsay, who were like kind of pulling her back and forth for who, she, like basically who she would hook up with first. And the blind item sort of like folklore of it is that Britney chose Paris and it's why Lindsay then became very sort of cold to Britney publicly. So you saw like before the bimbo summit, like Lindsay was always very nice about Britney. She didn't really say anything about her publicly a lot, but like she was nice about her at least to then after it did feel like there was some, some tension or bad blood between them um, and I believe that I definitely, you know, if you read Paris's blind items, like, you know, Paris loves to dip into the lady pond and I believe that Paris and Brittany and Brittany also loves to dip into the lady pond and has dated women. So I definitely think that their relationship was much more intimate than people would ever believe. I don't think that they were just best friends. I definitely think that they were hooking up and yeah, that's my favorite conspiracy theory. This next one, I actually paused to think about my answer ahead of time. This is from Chloe Juliet. Amazing question. If you could live in the reality of any movie, which would it be? Amazing. So I thought about it and... So let me explain to you why the answer is the craft. <laughs> First of all, to have that experience in high school, it's like high school is traumatic for everybody, right? But it may as well be fun. And I just think... <laughs> I just think, wow, what a fun experience to be like, you'll never believe this, but in high school, me and these girls like dabbled in witchcraft, which is a, uh, an experience for so many of you, but it actually worked. 
and one of them became God or something. But I would love to be just like an adult grown ass woman with the capability of a white light, white magic, witchcraftery, very powerful witchcraftery, I might add. That'd be amazing. To be like, didgeridoo, I want to be skinny, hot, and wealthy. <laughs> Are you kidding? I would absolutely be a fucking witch. And I'd be a whore witch, by the way, as you know. I would be an absolute whore witch. My entire life would just consist of me walking in slow motion, like in the craft, with my tits bouncing, nipples hard, no bra in sight, just like living my best fucking life in a pair of knee socks. Ernie Remma asked, "What do you? who do you want Britney to be interviewed by when she talks about her conservatorship? Um, I would like for it to be somebody from her past. I, I said on Instagram once that I wanted it to be Suchin Pak, and I'm actually not even joking about that. I think it would be incredible if she was interviewed by somebody who like knew her way back when on MTV. It's got to be somebody thoughtful. I know Oprah's like the obvious answer, but Oprah's only the obvious answer because we live in a world where there are no prominent interviewers anymore. Like, I've said this before, there are no Barbara Walters or like the people that we consider like the foundation of interviewing powerful figures. It's like just Oprah. So, yeah, I mean, I, Oprah, sure, I guess. Um,. But yeah, I would love for it to be somebody from like the MTV days. I think that would be really cool. Or even like a counterpart. Like how cool would it be if somebody like a Mandy Moore or something sat down and like interviewed Britney? Like somebody who was like there but not there. You know what I mean? Isn't Vitamin C doing interviews or something? <laughs> Isn't she <laughs> hosting or something in Europe? Like I would love that. Just Yelsa said, what's your favorite Housewives franchise? My favorite Housewives franchise has always been New York. It will always be New York. I'm so resentful of people who keep talking about New York being done and over with because it had a bad year. Let's just take into account the fact that New York has never had a bad year and that's why it feels so debilitating. You know what I mean? Let's talk about how many fucking bad years OC has had or Beverly Hills, which everybody for whatever reason is still sucking Beverly Hills dick. Why? why like even on its best day that show is nothing that it compared to what it used to be beverly hills best days are behind it and this past season with erica jane was like very fun to watch of course it was so engaging i don't think i've been that engaged in that franchise in like what seven years but even still like i would never say that it's anywhere near my favorite or comes close it's just so heavily, I don't know, like the girls on that show all seem just like they're producing themselves so intensely and whatever. I don't even know why I brought up Beverly Hills specifically, but like, yeah, New York is the one. It's the one. It's the only one. It's the greatest of all time. Lucy Boosie asked if I could live in any 2000s pop culture era um, or relive any 2000s pop culture era, what would it be and why? Um, and... I would pick, I mean, 2001 is a great year. If you look at all the stuff that happened in 2001, it's just like a really pop culture heavy, intense year um, for Britney. <laughs> um, but just generally, I think, like, as far as my own personal life and like when I had the most fun when it came to pop culture, it would be like MySpace era. Not a great year for Britney, and that's a hard trade off. But it would be, like, MySpace era. Like, discovering music through MySpace and all of... Okay. Like, people are, like, drag racing outside. It's a, it's a lot happening, right? I'm sorry. Anyway, um, discovering music and stuff through MySpace was just, like, so fun. Such an enjoyable experience. So completely different than it is now. Um, discovering new artists and celebrities. It's just everything on MySpace was incredible. And I'm very, like, horny right now for indie sleaze. So, yeah, it would be, like, MySpace era. Kales McGales asked, what was your favorite city to do the live podcast in and why was it Chicago? Um, I don't know if I could pick a favorite, to be honest with you. The cool thing about each city was that each city had such a, a specific vibe. 
And if any of you guys have not come to one of our live shows and are planning on coming in the future, the fun thing about it is that it's like very interactive and it's loud and like we talk to the audience and they scream stuff back at us and like it feels the energy is really intense. Like I don't know about the people sitting in the audience and I had a couple people come up and say something similar to this, but it feels electric. It just feels really like it's fun, but it's a different vibe each city. So I can kind of break them down for you if you want. Um, Boston was incredible because it was our first show and the audience was really engaged and like very cool and just like kind of chill and like respectful of the fact that this was our first show. There were kinks to be worked out. Like we didn't really have like our flow down yet. You know, we were figuring things out. And it felt like a very safe audience to, like, do that with, which was cool. Chicago was <laughs> insane. Chicago was drunk. <laughs> Chicago was the drunk show. Like, everybody in the audience was fucking hammered in Chicago, which made it really fun. It made the vibe really just intense. And, like, I don't know if the energy can be matched when it comes to the other cities versus Chicago. Like, it was just, like, nothing I had ever experienced. It was just so fun. Um, we also had a technical issue in Chicago that we overcame, I think, very quickly. So, like, that was, like, a cool thing to look back on and be like, oh, I've always wondered what it would look like if I was up on stage and I had a technical issue and, like, what would I do and, like, how would I recover? And we did. Um, New York was amazing. I would say our most engaged audience New York was, like, in it. Like, hardcore. New York was involved. Like, it was just... I would probably honestly say New York may have been my favorite. The audience was just so fucking cool. And, like, really, really engaged. And Shannon from Fluently Forward got to be there. And that was cool. Like, Shannon got to come up and, like, answer a question. And, like, that was really fun. Um, and then L.A. was great because it felt the most sort of iconic... Like, the theater that we had the show at was very iconic, the Dynasty Typewriter, and it was gorgeous, and it just felt very, like, legit. Like, we were up on this big, beautiful stage with, like, props and things and things everywhere, and it was just cool, you know? Um, I would say that that was our most professional show. The LA show felt very, like, you know, I was like, wow, this is, like, a real, this is real. This is really happening. Um, but yeah, all the shows were great and I can't wait to add more dates and I can't wait to meet like more of you guys. It was so fun. I think I'm going to do one more question. This is from Coffee and Castoffs. She said, oh, of course, we're going out with a bang. My favorite Britney album. This changes every day. Honestly, it, it depends on the year, the month, the week, the hour, the minute. But right now, my favorite Britney album is the Britney album. <laughs> and it's always been in the zone, but... At the moment, I'm really feeling the Britney album. I just, I, like, love it so much. It's just so sweet. It's so peak, like, Britney still being the Britney that we all know and love. And, yeah, it's, it's, um, it's fun. I don't know if I have anything else to say. I really enjoyed this moment. And I really enjoyed just hanging out with you guys. And I hope that you did. I hope that this was fun to listen to. I don't really know how to host this by myself anymore. It's been so long. But uh, it won't be the last time, especially now that we're taking a little bit of time in between adding more dates for the tour and stuff. Like, I'm going to have some off time and I'll be able to hopefully lean in more and do some more solo episodes. If not, just, you know, I'm doing the best I can, you guys. I feel like a mom holding five crying babies sometimes. You know what I mean? But I love you guys so much. This was so much fun. I really hope that you enjoyed it. I hope that you enjoyed me. Please continue enjoying me. Validate me. I love you. Bye. Thank you for listening to Dunzo. This podcast is a part of the Solid Listen Network. Please take a moment to rate, review, and subscribe if you haven't already. Also, be sure to check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash solidlisten for exclusive content. You can follow me on Twitter at Troy McGee, and you can follow the podcast on all forms of social media at DunzoPod. That's D-U-N-Z-O. Thank you to executive producer Molly McAleer and coordinating producer Nicole Matthew. 
seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.